0: All right, welcome to the latest episode of the We Belong Here podcast powered by Civic Commons. My name is Frank Nam and I'm your host. Today, we're gonna to discuss the intersection of belonging and our downtown space here in Seattle. And I cannot ask for better guests than the three individuals here today. And to discuss this matter, we're going to have Yoon Kango Higgins, Rico Kandango, and John Scholes. As we get started, I would love if our guests can take a few moments to briefly introduce themselves and maybe also add what your organizations do. Like what's the organization? What's the mission of your organization?
1: My name is Yoon, uh, Kang O'Higgins, pronoun she, her, and I am the director of public programs for Friends of Waterfront Seattle. And we are the nonprofit group that um, operates, manages, um, fundraises, raises programs. Uh, waterfront park which will be completed in 2025 um, and right now if you go down to waterfront park which stretches from around belltown down to the stadiums it's mostly a construction site but pier 62 is the piece that first phase that is active right now and complete um, so that is a little bit about us
2: I am Rico Kitting dongo I'm the acting director for the Office of Planning and Community Development. Um, Our office is in charge. So there's a lot that we're working on, but um, we oversee the planning function for the city of Seattle. So we do land use. Um, We also uh, have a equitable development initiative program where we put out around $20 million a year uh, to support. BIPOC-led, uh, community-led development projects across the city.
3: I'm John Scholes, uh President and CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association. I've been in this role for eight years and with the association for about 15, and I've uh, always felt that I had the best job in the city of Seattle. I get to work with just a variety of people, arts and cultural leaders, and uh, folks in business and real estate and small business, residents, property owners, to influence a place uh, that I care a lot about and uh, work on a variety of issues. And I don't have to run for re-election. I don't generally have to call people for campaign contributions or ask voters to vote for me. Uh, But I get to play some role in trying to shape uh, what happens in the center of our city. We are an organization that was founded in 1958. We represent about 600 companies and organizations, everyone from uh, Amazon to uh, restaurateur to... Nonprofit housing providers, arts and cultural organizations, people that have an interest in investment in downtown, and then we also represent about 1,250 property owners, and we both are a steward of downtown, providing direct services like cleaning and putting on events and managing parks and public spaces, and then we work to influence decisions that we can't control but have some impact on this place and what our stakeholders uh, care about. And we try to be a resource and a convener of different interests um, that uh, also share an interest and concern and, and hope for uh, uh, a, a downtown that is welcoming to everyone, that's thriving, that's healthy, and uh, provides economic opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you didn't believe me when I said I couldn't have three better guests than who I have here in this digital room, then after they've uh, explained who they are and where they work, I think you would totally agree with me so here on the podcast we love to start with this idea of you know and maybe this is my love for comic books as a kid uh, but i love origin stories right and we strongly believe that if we're going to build relationships with one another we have to be able to tell our stories in our own voices and so my question to the three of you is tell us your origin story
1: i mean that is such a big question um but mostly I'll just say in terms of my work and how I ended up at the waterfront, um, I was actually born in Korea, but raised in New Jersey, New York area. And um, my background's in art history. So having this role that is so city adjacent is, is a fairly new development for me in my work life. Um, my background is mostly in museums. And um, the really quick version of a longer story is, Uh, my first job outside of, out of college was um, at a museum. It's called the, well, it's the Guggenheim in New York in the curatorial department. I remember just like the, even now to this day, like as an adult, I, when I think about that space, it was so like anxiety provoking for a lot of reasons. Um, You know, in hindsight now, like I have words for it, it's, it's not, not a feeling of belonging, like really having to act differently and behave a certain way to really feel like um, I belonged in that space. Um, But it was during that time I was working in curatorial, but um, I became a lot more interested in um, what the, I think it was called the education, it's probably called something different now, but the education team at that time was doing because there was this big gap, especially like me trying to explain to my family what my work was, and actually seeing the work on the walls, and, you know, just kind of this real disconnect between what was hanging on the walls, and the public, my family, my friends, people I know, feeling really just not that interested in it, and so I became really much more interested in that gap between, um, I'm going to just say the public, really broadly, audiences, and um, cultural, like, activations, and um, cultural spaces, and um, through a lot of kinds of work, opportunities, and more recently, just the conversations around decolonizing, um, especially art museum spaces, um, became more interested in culture making and um, how spaces become spaces where people um, feel like they belong um, and how spaces can really heal and how spaces can really um, change the story or narrative for communities and how people use You know, use space and just exist in space. Um, And so the last job I had before coming to the waterfront was um, this Discovery Center at the Gates Foundation. And um, it was my colleagues there who introduced me to what was happening along the waterfront. And that's kind of how I ended up in public programming for the waterfront, which is an incredible opportunity because um, I know, John, you probably hear this all the time, too, in your work. but. I get reminded um, that this is the biggest civic project since, um, for us, uh, since the Space Needle, since the World's Fair. And so it's an incredible opportunity to really work with community to um, reimagine, understand the stories that the waterfront holds for different communities, um, and to not move away from it, but to actually embrace that to um, surface those stories, but also create new stories for um, our community here.
0: Thanks, Yun. And Yun, you've, uh, you know, since our conversation today is about down, downtowns, you've experienced downtowns yeah. in a few different cities, right? Um, where else have you resided? Because I, I know you lived in Europe for a
2: bit too.
1: Yeah. And I, so, you know, college, I, I was in college in New York, um, New York City, and then um, was able to live in London for a while and in Edinburgh, but um, have had the chance work-wise to work wise to work in a couple different cities. And I would say more specifically with the government, city government, through with arts and culture in Dublin and Ireland. So just having had the opportunity to see how different cities as a resident or as a student and also as a uh, person who's working in the arts and culture space to see and experience how different cities um, approach Mm -hmm. um, downtown And then even more recently in Dublin, um, their waterfront, kind of their financial district and see the different ways that arts and cultural organizations have been partnered with um, or really asked to uh, activate those spaces has been great for this work. I mean, I didn't know that at the time that I was working there, but um, yeah, Mm. we can talk more about. Yeah.
0: No, we're we're, going to dig into that topic quite a bit uh, soon. Appreciate you uh, sharing your story. Same thing for you, Rico. I would love to hear your story.
2: I'm a born and raised Seattleite. I grew up on the East Side, grew up in Kirkland. Um, what that meant for me though, uh, it's interesting, actually, because I was born uh a small black child uh in the central district. Um, my mother went to Garfield uh high school. Um they decided my parents decided early on that um uh if I stayed in in the city core, uh, and in the school system in the Seattle public schools, um, that I was gonna, I can't use profanity. So I was going to get my butt kicked. (laughs) Um, and, um, they were interested in finding a path for me that, uh, was college track. Um, but through public education, they did their research on school districts and ultimately that was, uh, uh informed their decision to move move us to the east side um growing up in kirkland um i was a very much a minority so my graduating class uh of 500 there maybe were eight black people um in in my class um at most um, uh and so I, I, I grew up not belonging, right? Um, I think that what I, I countered that um, by just being gregarious and being uh, kind of a, a social uh, force at the school and uh, doing the National Honor Society things, all that, all that sort of stuff. I, I began my civic service uh, early put it that way. Um, and you know, I was good at art and I was good at math, which made me um put those things together to decide that I should go into architecture. Um uh and very quickly brought together my interests in social justice with um this work in built environments. So I was an architect for 27 years before joining the city um, two and a half years ago. Um, And the work that I have had the good fortune to be able to focus on has been around, you know, investing in communities, um, raising voices, particularly those that don't particularly, um, don't generally have the opportunity to have their voices heard. Um, and trying to ensure that uh, BIPOC families, BIPOC businesses, BIPOC communities, BIPOC not-for-profits, um, all were able to realize their dreams, um, and sometimes in ways that they did not know that they could, right? I think that there's a, we take built environment for granted, you know, the, the homes that we live in, the the schools that we go to, the office buildings that we work in, uh, and often don't realize that the the those boxes have a profound impact on uh, how we feel. Um, and so a large focus of uh, my work uh, as an architect and, and my work now that I'm with the city um, is to help people realize the power of built environment and the power of community, bring those things together, um, and help people make changes in their own lives. Um, so I, I, I do feel privileged. I feel fortunate that, that I was able to go to great schools, have great mentors, um, be able to have a great job like I do here. And so it, it, um, it's all about, uh, giving back um and realizing the the power of those that came before me that helped me to get to this place.
0: Enrico, did you do you have
2: experiences in other downtowns beyond Seattle like in terms of like where you studied or lived? Sure. So I went to Washington University in St. Louis, so I uh experienced that downtown which was not very vibrant at the time mm-hmm. that I was there. Um and then I also lived in the Bay Area uh, for three years, so I experienced both uh, downtown Oakland, where I lived and worked, um, but also uh, downtown San Francisco, which, uh, as you know, is, is a very vibrant place and has their own waterfront story and the, the uh, removal of the Embarcadero um, mm. and the transformation of that waterfront. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you. Thank you for sharing your story.
0: Uh, Last but not least, John, uh, another uh, born and raised uh, Seattleite, uh, tell us your origin story.
3: Born in Buffalo, New York, but we moved out to University Place in Tacoma, which was unincorporated at the time, but just south of the city, now an incorporated city. Moved out there when I was five. And uh, I remember carrying the Tacoma News Tribune to high school classes, not paying attention much to class and what was going on there, but being really interested in what was happening in our community, around the country, around the world, and i just sit and read the paper all day in uh, in class and, and uh, kind of kept that uh, kind of academic mindset in college uh, and <laughs> continued to kind of sit in the back of the class and wasn't too interested in what was going on there and wasn't too interested in theory or what had already happened. I was really interested in what was happening out in in the world and current events and politics and public policy and um and i remember getting involved on bill bradley's presidential primary campaign when i was at the university of washington and uh a buddy of mine that i was living with said hey do you want to go volunteer on this presidential campaign and i kind of was interested in bill bradley and his platform and kind of how he was positioning himself and so i didn't know what volunteering really meant and what we were going to do but we ended up driving Penske trucks down to Boeing field to pick, to meet the campaign plane and the press plane when they would come into Seattle to do events here and in other parts of Washington state. And we would unload the luggage and (laughs) drive it up to the hotels. Uh, so having, you know, didn't really have much to do with politics. We weren't, you know, canvassing or knocking on doors or making phone calls, but we were volunteering and, uh, they needed people to drive, uh, luggage. And so we'd sit for a couple hours, because the plane would always be laid and they take forever to get off. And, and, uh, then we drive these trucks full of reporters, luggage up to the Western hotel downtown. And, uh, the thrill of the gig that I got once was I got to carry, um, Bill Bradley's bag with him in the elevator up to the presidential suite. So that was kind of a nice little payoff. But from there, we organized a students group for Bill Bradley at the university of Washington. And we put together this huge rally in red square that we organized because they were spending a lot of time in washington state because it was kind of a do or die primary election for them they'd lost a bunch previous um to uh the washington primary to al gore and so they kind of were throwing all their eggs in the washington basket and it's like either we're going to fold up this campaign or we're going to win the state and, and try to win the next one so they were here quite a bit and uh so we put together this big rally, thousands of people in Red Square and I got to introduce Mayor Paul Schell, Mayor of Seattle at the time, who was the first elected official in the country to endorse Bill Bradley. I can't remember, they had some relationship from way back when. Um so I introduced Paul Schell and he introduced Bill Bradley and I'm standing on the stage in front of thousands of my fellow students in Red Square at the University of Washington. I was like, well this is kind of cool. Like, you know, a few weeks ago or a month or two ago, I was just picking up luggage down at Boeing Field. And driving it up to the Westin, and and so it was just a lesson for me, and and sort of the the idea that influence is up for grabs. That if you care about something, if you have a passion, there's opportunity to lean in, to follow that conviction, that intuition, and to figure out in some way how to make a difference. He lost the state, so you know I didn't make that big of a difference. He lost the election, <laughs> and then that night I remember being down at Cutters with the campaign team, Cutters restaurant by the market here downtown and everybody was sort of drinking their sorrows. Uh, but it was a fun experience of being part of this team, this collection of people that all believed in the same thing. Uh, they believed in him, they believed in his platform, what he was trying to do. And it was kind of my entry point into uh, politics. And from there I got involved while still at the University of Washington in the gun violence prevention movement. Again, I stopped going to class and I started intern, <laughs> interning. And I didn't get good grades. And uh, I spent most of my time interning for Washington Ceasefire, a nonprofit that was working to pass stronger laws in Olympia to reduce gun violence in Washington state. And also to get legislators elected that shared their point of view of uh, strengthening gun safety regulations. And from there, I just kind of stayed in this area, stayed in Seattle and uh, moved around the public policy, local government advocacy political space, uh, working for elected officials, county council member, governor's reelection, uh, and then ended up at the downtown Seattle association in 2008. So I've always really been drawn to the opportunity to play some role with other people in influencing change in a place that I, uh, care about. And I've never had much interest in working for a company that, you know, made products or put out services I like lots of products and services and technology and I'm a consumer of all of that but it wasn't enough for me to sort of get my paycheck every day from you know a traditional company in the business of making something or providing a service so I've always kind of been in the nonprofit and public policy and government space and uh, thought I wanted to be a lawyer because I liked the idea of persuasion but again I was just not a great student and couldn't just take the study and, and tests and I wanted to get out there and kind of get after it. And uh, so I still feel like I'm in the business of persuasion and influence without a law degree <laughs> <laughs> or any other fancy grad graduate school degree, um, but still sort of guided by my conviction and intuition around things I care about and trying to influence change with people that uh, have similar interests. Um, or not. And you figure out what are theirs and how do you kind of find some common ground to get things done for that, that make your community better.
0: Mm -hmm. John, have you spent time uh, even, you know, like if not living in or studying in, but like spending time in different downtowns and across the country or world?
3: Yeah. Like I said, I was born in Buffalo, New York, but Mm -hmm. we left when I was five, but we'd go back every year uh, a couple times a year. I'd go back every Christmas growing up really into my 20s. So I knew that city really well, and it was a city that you know was in decline and for 50, 60 years, lost half its population, you know, still kind of struggling to get get back and uh, gorgeous downtown, though, we didn't go downtown a lot. They, my family and relatives lived in Amherst and Williamsville, sort of outside of the downtown. And then my parents split when I was eight and my dad moved back to New York from Tacoma and then down to Houston and Calgary. So I'd spend a lot of time in Houston. In Calgary, Canada, mm-hmm. in those downtowns, I remember, you know, spending the summers in Calgary as a fourteen, fifteen, sixteen-year-old, and taking light rail by myself to camps and through downtown, and and being able to navigate that city as a as a young kid, and that was kind of a thrill um, to kind of have that city to myself. As just uh, someone, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends up there because I didn't live up there full time, but I'd spend six weeks in the summer, and sometimes, you know, spring break or the winter, which was dang cold, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it was fun. It was a great downtown and, uh, it's grown quite a bit since I was last there and then same in, in areas of Houston and then spent some time in Austin uh, when I was at the university of Texas in Austin, my freshman year before transferring to the university of Washington. Mm. And, uh, so yeah, I've been around and lived in a few and traveled to others and still think we've got one of the best here in downtown Seattle.
0: Well, thank you all three of you for sharing your stories. I appreciate that. it's always a great way to just, you know, as we get into conversations, like to know who is who, where you're from, what your experiences are. And I think it creates a much richer discussion as we have this dialogue. So my next question, and this time we'll go in reverse order, um, is, you know, thinking about, you know, be it downtown Seattle, downtown New York, downtown wherever, like, Just, you know, and this is, you know, this doesn't have to be a long response, like two questions. One, what's your favorite or fondest memory of downtown in any of those places? And then what is your favorite place or spot in downtown Seattle specifically? And so, John, I'll have you go first. One of my
3: great memories of being in a downtown was just the first time I was in New York City as, uh, I think, 14 or 15 year old and just standing in Times Square and just the energy of that place. And just the number of people, the density, you know, how tall the buildings were, the lights, just feeling that was pretty spectacular. And and I also loved that, you know, in a lot of our downtowns and cities, it's where the decisions get made. It's where public policy's made. It's where court decisions are made. It's where big, you know, corporate and private sector decisions are made. I mean it's where, um, you know, the trajectory of our communities and our country, you know, our capitals in and, and a lot of cases and um, it's, you know, the center of commerce and where we come together civically. And so I was always fascinated by that, but I just remember a a trip we took, uh, on the Eastern seaboard of, you know, Boston, DC, Philly, and New York. Um, when I was, I don't know, probably 14, 15 that had a big impact. And then in downtown Seattle, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can't say the Pike place market. I look forward to other, (laughs) uh, Rico and, Ian's ideas as well of um, their favorite places. But I just love the market because it's this collection of all these different uses and interests from childcare and senior living and, of course, small business and produce and vendors, those things that we, you know, kind of immediately identify with the market. But there's so much more there. It's a city within a city. It works really well, Um, you know, all these different uses and interests and people from the Skagit Valley coming in with their, you know, flowers or vendors from further out, and you know, people of all kinds of different means and backgrounds. And it's this place that's sort of universally universally loved and appreciated by locals and people around the country and around the world. And I think it gives us a lot of lessons for what are the kind of key ingredients and principles for great urban places. And we we have this kind of university, this urban university here in the middle of downtown that I think we maybe sometimes overlook for lessons it can give us, particularly as we look to revitalize and and rebuild from the impacts of the pandemic over the last few years on downtown Seattle. There's a lot of lessons we can take from how the market operates uh, today that we can apply to some of the challenges we face as we try to rebuild and revitalize the rest of downtown and and other downtowns around the country.
2: Rico, what what about you? Uh, Well, so the first part of your question, so I'm going to go all the way back to my childhood because I don't want to I don't want to totally copy John because I, I would love to talk about New York as well. Cause I just, I love going there and I love being in the downtown, but um, when I was a kid growing up, so I lived right on the edge of um, where Kirkland meets Woodinville. In fact, I was supposed to go to Woodinville school district, but um, cause we were right on the lo- on the other side of the line. But, I wanted to go to school with where all of my friends were from, so i lied, so we lied and I got to go to the <laughs> got to go to juanita high school uh I was a rebel um at any rate, I would bike in the summers from Woodenville all the way to Bellevue, which was a day long trip round trip in any case um but for a suburban kid when the suburbs were truly suburbs you know no sidewalks and all of that sort of thing like going into downtown Bellevue where there were tall buildings where there was Bellevue Square where I could go get lunch shop all afternoon and like see all sorts of faces that I wouldn't normally get to see it was that was vibrant for me Um, and it was a experience that took me outside of my normal daily uh my normal daily experience um and i think as we as we think about downtowns there there are those different ways of thinking about it people that live work downtown where it is their daily experience and then the downtown that people come to whether they're coming from out of town or they're coming from across town or they're coming to experience something that they have, that they don't experience in their regular daily lives, like me going to experience uh, Bellevue downtown or me going to experience New York downtown. Um, uh, Pike Place Market is actually my favorite place in the market. Um, I, uh, even before becoming uh, a member of the council um, and before becoming uh, the chair uh, I was a part of a small black owned business uh, DK architecture um, where we were market adjacent so we were just immediately north um, uh, of the boundary of the uh, of the market uh, where we where I would um, work in the morning I'd go to the market for lunch during the day pick up flowers um, uh, and uh for we were there for uh the better part of 15 years um and so i I actually felt very much a part of the market community um and uh having the opportunity to join the council i i actually think that if you if you if you look at the governance of the market um there is a great opportunity to see what true community engagement looks like um and how the people that are responsible to govern and ensure the health safety and welfare of the of that community how they are held responsible by the community that they serve um which is hard like the if you are um the executive director mary baccarella dear friend of mine um uh it, it is a twenty four seven job. You you do not get a day off. Um and uh the decisions that you make are not are not ones that can be taken lightly because you are there every week. You're there every day or either you're, you're there every week if you're a council member. Um and uh people will recall what you said what you thought, what you decided, and not let you get away from those decisions. So, the the opportunity for um, collaboration is high, um, and uh, the equity framework um, of the Preservation and Development Authority is really inspirational. Um, the 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 place that is the market where whether you are a busker or an artist or a farmer or a small business owner, or you're a large business owner, um, or you're visiting or you live a few blocks away, um, or whether you are like homeless and there for social services, like there is a high level of equity, feeling of belonging, placemaking, there is so much there, there, I mean, which we learned during the pandemic, right? Like like that was the place that people um, still came to and wanted to be. Um, I think there is a lot for us to learn from what the Pike Place holds. Yoon is next.
1: One of my more recent favorite downtown experiences also in New York City, um, Um, Growing up in New Jersey, as Frank mentioned earlier, but like being in a commuter town into New York City, like that would represent the bigger city um, that I was adjacent to, and so having a lot of memories there. But more recently through this job, actually, the Waterfront Park is part of the Highline Network, um, and so I was able to visit kind of a um, behind-the-scenes walkthrough of Gotham Park, which is the Manhattan side of Brooklyn Bridge. So, if you can think of Brooklyn Bridge, people know there's Brooklyn Bridge Park, but on the Manhattan side, and if you've ever walked across um, that bridge, it's not that easy to figure. It's like it's not that obvious how you get on as a walk, as a pedestrian, onto that. And so, there is a nonprofit called Brooklyn Bridge Manhattan that is working on creating, reclaiming that space, which is kind of insane of the millions of tourists who come to that space to walk that iconic. Bridge and to take photos of that view of the arches, right? Um, and so they are reclaiming that space. It used to be really like a um, a kind of a grassroots skate park situation down there, um, and that group is reclaiming that space to make it an urban park. And so going back there and looking through, like you know, like literally looking through like people's and like fences to see what is gonna. Um, Hopefully, become a cohesive public space, and really thinking about like that collision of like Chinatown, along with like the police department, along with um, Homeland Security, because of the all the um, all all the situations that have happened in downtown um, New York City, and really thinking about that space being a new space for the public and for the different communities that are there um, was incredibly inspiring especially someone who's lived there didn't even really think about that space as a space that one could actually just enjoy um, as public space but to Frank's point I am going to talk about the waterfront um, because as someone who didn't grow up here um, I hadn't spent that much time along the waterfront like most people because of the viaduct and it's amazing to me how many people I meet who didn't live here when the viaduct was up which is as recent as 2019 so um, so it was literally a wall that blocked that kind of, um, access to the waterfront. And I agree with you all. Seattle is an unbelievably beautiful place. Um, by the way, I know we are hosting Greater and Greener, which is the, uh, the, uh, urban park national conference next year. And so recently I was here with the organizing committee and they just did at Pier 62 and just kept going, wow, just wow. And, you know, and we get spoiled, you know what I mean? Like we're in a city, but you look around and you see the mountains, you see the water, you see the sky. Um, and for me being from the East coast and having a different kind of experience of access to that kind of landscape, um, I am reminded of that, especially at Pier 62. Yes, I am going to shout out Pier 62. Um, I spent hours and hours and hours of my last two years um in this job at pier 62 we've had so many events there but um the sunsets it's just an unbelievable um like stunning space to just stand and just on one side you have the mountains on the other side you see Seattle downtown you're right at that pure you're literally right at that border um but the kind of community the diversity um, and I mean diversity in all different ways, different categories um, of folks who I've seen down there. Personally, as an adult um, resident here, I've experienced the city in a new way, um, different appreciation for um, what's to come. And I agree with you all about the market. I cannot wait for the very – do you know how many times I've answered the question, how do I get to the market from people who are walking the waterfront? Because it is not obvious in any way. I'm usually like, do you see that parking garage and those like blue stairs and that elevator that may or may not be working? That's how you get there. I mean, it's trying to explain to people um, how to get up there. I cannot wait for Overlook Walk to be completed so that it is just really um, an easy flow from the market to the waterfront. So I'm excited about that. But I'm going to say Pierce it to two.
0: I will say for me, real quickly, like Seattle... You know, I came to Seattle in 1996. Uh, I've lived in Seattle longer than any place else in my uh, lifetime. Uh, I spent 24 years there. And it wasn't until 2016 when I worked for the City of Seattle Department of Neighborhoods that I really spent any time in downtown Seattle. Like, I had lived in the U District, Lake City, Greenwood, uh, Central District, Beacon, South Seattle. Like, I've moved all over, you know. i probably lived in all, like all of the council districts potentially at some point. And so it wasn't until 2016 when I was working downtown at the city that I was like, oh, the city is actually really vibrant. There's like, there's a lot to do here. That's where I spent more time at Pike place. This is something that a lot of people are talking about. I I Googled right before this podcast, you know, downtown, the future of downtown, right? And I just left it like that. And from big cities like Houston and Atlanta to like small cities and like the suburbs like this newspaper article after newspaper article came up, like, how do we, what is the future of downtown? How do we reimagine downtown? What, how do we, you know, get the economic vitality back? How do we get, you know, tourists back? How do we get all these things? And that's a question that's not on a lot of people's minds. I think all of you have probably been wrestling with this question. Um, So this question is really about like, with the pandemic, with all these changes, how do we create and how do you, how do you envision creating a downtown where everyone belongs? you know, John, you used language before, like where people thrive, where everyone's welcome, right? I think everyone agrees that's the downtown we want, but how do we create that? Like, what does that that actually look like, potentially? Does it look like before? Does it look like something we've never imagined? Is there somewhere in the middle? And so with that, I'm gonna actually ask John to go first, and I'm gonna have Yun go, and then I'm gonna have Rico kind of give like, cause like the bigger city perspective, potentially. But John, I would love to hear your opinions or thoughts
3: the plaque on the Statue of Liberty that was placed there after it was built, I think in like 1904 or so, says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And I think that reflects really how our downtowns in the U.S. in particular evolved in the early 1900s, late 1800s. They were places where lots of different people were um, not everybody, but lots of people, you know, immigrants from lots of countries. And certainly the, there, there were folks left out of that, particularly the black community, um, and in the indigenous community. Um, but from a socioeconomic background, there was a pretty wide spectrum of people that could come to downtowns to seek opportunity, to seek employment, to seek their fortune. Certainly that's how our downtown here in Seattle evolved in the early 1900s when the gold rush in Alaska was taking place. And we had lots of different people from, All around the country, in some cases, the world coming here to get provisions and then to get on a ship to go see if they could get gold. And our city's population more than doubled uh, in size over a 10-year period. Some of that was through annexations of surrounding neighborhoods, but a lot from just pure growth, too. And I think we've benefited collectively from how those are downtowns in the U.S., um, came to be and were created because you had lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds and economic standing be able to come participate, contribute, create something, take a chance, invest, open a business, you know, have a vending stall at the market, help save the market, right? I mean, you had just a lot of different people with different backgrounds that created this really rich quilt and these institutions like the Pike Place Market, you know, founded in 1907 that we still hold up as this incredible place today, and we benefit from all of that. And so, I think as we think of, as we look at what the pandemic has done to our downtowns here in the U.S., I don't think it's about getting back to 2019 necessarily, because I think we had a lot of downtowns that were becoming, in some ways, sort of one-dimensional, and they worked really well for a limited group of people. You know, if you uh, were making six figures at a tech company and you could afford the rent and the twenty-two dollar cocktails with your friends after work you know downtown was kind of working really well for you um but i think that puts the downtown experience and the down the downtown in general at at risk if it's only sort of serving a certain socioeconomic uh, class or certain demographics and as i think as we look forward in this country we've got the most diverse generation in our history in generation z And if they don't see themselves in the downtown, whether it's Seattle or San Francisco or Chicago, if it's not relevant to them, if the businesses, the events, the programs, the products, the events in the parks, the employment opportunities, if those things are not relevant to them, it doesn't speak to them, I think the downtown's at at risk. It's got to be relevant uh, and reflect the diversity of the region it, it sits in. And so I think that's our charge going forward as we try to revitalize and rebuild. We want a downtown that's porous, that invites lots of people from throughout the region, country, world, to take part, to contribute, to feel like they belong, that this is a place that's relevant to them and their background, their interests. And, uh, you know, we do that well in some cases and in others we have lots of opportunity for improvement. But I think that's always been the key to creating these, you know, interesting dynamic places that where everybody feels it's sort of their neighborhood. It's not, you know... We may not live there, we may not work there, but it's still that central part of our city or our region is relevant to us, and we feel a connection to it. And it really should serve as everyone's neighborhood, just like it did when I grew up in Tacoma. Because my my parents didn't work up here, I didn't have relatives that lived in Seattle or downtown Seattle. But I thought of it as like, oh no, that's the place we go on the weekend, or we go to the game, or we go to folk life, or the Seattle Center or the market or Cutters. And I felt a connection to it, uh, even though we lived you know thirty miles south. So I think that's really key to the health and durability of downtowns is that they are places where folks feel they belong and they represent the diversity of, of the region.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with all of that, you know, the who this country is and the makeup of this country has changed a lot in the last 20 years and will continue to change and cities, can't, cities are not the places where you go to do the same thing that you've always done, right? Cities are where you go to like meet new ideas, be challenged, like find people that have a different background than you, or cultural reference point than you, or language than you. And I think the cities should be places where that is continually evolving with the people. So I've heard from a good friend of mine, and I think uh, you knows him as well very well, Randy Engstrom, who's actually consulting with the Downtown. And he's mentioned the waterfront as Seattle's front door. I don't know if he said that to you probably. He's, I don't know if that's his language or if that's the language that y'all have been using at the, at Friends of the Waterfront. But I like that expression because it is a big piece of Seattle's like infrastructure, right? Like welcoming this new downtown that's going to emerge. I'm going to guess that you'll talk about the waterfront. But yeah, what's your vision about how do we create a, a, a downtown for all of us?
1: On um, topic of things that um, Randy has called the waterfront, I I also like to um I hear him talk about it as a love letter to our city, to our region, and um, I I strongly believe that and agree with that as well. And this idea that he and his colleagues at uh, Third Way Creative, his consulting firm, talk about this idea of co-presence um, and really thinking about that that reality of the downtown and agree with you all that it can't be 2019 i think i think if anyone's holding on to that they will soon need to let that idea go um but i i i do really think about the downtown um and the shift toward an arts and cultural hub um and really thinking about that's what you know when you think about different neighborhoods and cities, I mean, that is what changes um, neighborhoods and cities is that um, is why people flock there. And I'm using the word culture really broadly to include sports, um, engagements, all of that, but the idea that, you know, the cities are downtowns are for like businesses or, you know, folks, white collar workers coming down to work is just, I think we've moved past that or we're moving past that. Um, So, your question um, earlier frank because i feel like i'm about to go off topic but a little bit <laughs> there's something john that you're talking about um but that, that made me think about the the waterfront in particular oh, around the different communities okay so um when i and i'm going to talk specifically about the waterfront um because it does kind of follow along that downtown border but thinking specifically about the communities and diversity there. um, I do think a lot about um, indigenous um, community representation of history. I mean, it's a really ugly um, past, I think about Ballast Island um, and and the history of Ballast Island right there at the waterfront with indigenous communities, um, like literally camping out on boulders that the ships were just kind of dumping out there. And then um, literally, longhouses, last longhouses being burnt, burned down along the waterfront. I think about um, the waterfront also being the passageway for um, Japanese Americans, incarcerated Japanese Americans um, during World War II. I think about Chinese exclusion, literally Chinese community uh, community being ousted um, because of Chinese Exclusion Act and that all happened along our waterfront. And so really thinking about um, the communities here and those stories and um, being really intentional about not just being like, hey, we had Lunar New Year, cool, but really thoughtfully thinking about how do we work with communities so that these are, um, for me specifically programs. And I think about programs really broadly, not just one event, but programming that is created by the communities that we are thinking about and not just in like a surface or performative way um I'm thinking about conversations that I just came out of yesterday with ACLT or Africa Town um, Community Land Trust and really thinking about yes, programming is just one way, but it's actually an easy and surface way to think about engagement, but really like what's the economic impact of what's happening downtown, um, with the waterfront being part of that, um, in terms of like the workforce, in terms of um business impact, economic economic development, housing. So Just really thinking about how thoughtfully and intentionally we work with different communities um, on on that kind of reimagination of downtown. Right now, personally, as I think about programming, um, I know it's so tempting to think about, like, we're going to do this. We're going to have this event, this festival. But I am trying to pause with my team and um, really think about, without starting with those solutions, really have the more generative conversations about what does belong? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? And then, um, you know, what does it feel like? What does it look like? Um, what does that process look like? Um, and start there before we can even say, like, this is exactly what the programming at in downtown will look like. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes, sometimes we want to start the conversation of, like, we're going to have this festival or we're going to host this festival or we're going to have this many, you know, temporary art. Um, pieces, but just pausing because I feel like we have such an incredible opportunity in this moment um, to have a much more like that permission to wonder, that permission to um, imagine what what that can look like for us.
0: I, I love it when you know people that are are charged with like the shaping of spaces. Talk about imagination, and wonder, because a lot of times it does feel transactional, or it is just like a. Let's call this this thing, or let's do this event, or like you know, and we we did it, right and I think when government when when things involve money and huge projects and and people's like opinions, it's real easy to try to go fast, but I think um we lose a lot when we go fast, and we lose usually what we lose is the people who don't have the access to the engagements. Right. That like take the uh, take into account, like, what do we, what do we, when we say we all are envisioning this, well, who gets to go to those meetings? Where do the meetings happen? How is it, is there language? Is it like, et cetera. So I think that's something that I know that you will do, you know, you work really hard to make sure that that engagement is, 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 is uh thorough and comprehensive for people to access. I know Randy will do that as well with his work with third, third wave creative. So yeah. The other thing Randy called downtown is he called it, like, uh, the front door, but thinking of it, like, as a tributary and river, and how can downtown, like, bring people to all across downtown, right, not just the waterfront? And how can they, how can you mix people around and, and get people to see things? Uh, and that involves stuff like transportation, that involves, like, land use, that involves, uh, you know, all these different things, but like the PDAs that are associated throughout the downtown, businesses, workers, tourists. So the last, you know, Rico, as, uh, you know, as the the director of OPCD, like, what is your, or maybe OPCD's vision, maybe they're the same, you know, your vision to this question, or how do you envision this?
2: So I want to, I want to hearken back to our times of COVID for a moment uh, when we were all in quarantine and then coming out of quarantine. Um, There, there is a reason that uh, Pike Place Market was a go-to place throughout um, time before COVID, during COVID, and then now. Um, if you if you if you can imagine that time, and I it, I did this interesting experiment for myself um, where uh, I walked from Capitol Hill from Broadway. I had lunch up there one day um, uh, during quarantine where the where the people were still out on the streets, there was car traffic, there was pedestrian traffic, there were um, stores that were open, there were businesses and restaurants that were open, and then as I walked into downtown i could I could visibly watch the pedestrian count drop, and by the time I got to downtown, there was no one out on the streets because there was no d- d- when everyone was sent back to their homes to work so everybody was working remotely at that point there was no there there in downtown now that has changed since we have um come out of covid quarantine and and um you know those, all of those restrictions have now been lifted Um, But we're still struggling uh, like in Seattle, but across the nation and all of our downtowns um, because the nature of work has changed. Um, It used to be everyone commuted five days a week from their homes into the downtown core, which was designed as I mean, downtowns have been designed and designed and thought of as civic centers and commercial centers, economic centers for um, our cities. And that is still the case, but um, the reality of getting up on Monday morning and getting on the bus or getting on light rail or getting in my uh, my single occupancy vehicle and uh, driving into downtown doesn't exist anymore in that way. Um, and so what, what does that mean? It means there's less people and people are naturally drawn to people. People are naturally drawn to activity. People, if they, if I go to my office building to work, then on my lunch break, I want to get away from my desk. I go downstairs, I get out onto the street and I figure out, where I can go to get a good lunch or where I can go to, like, hear a busker or, like, do something that's entertaining for me or go do a quick bit of shopping before I go back to work. That dynamic does not exist as it did before. It does in smaller percentages, and, John, you know these percentages better than I do, but anecdotally, on any given day, the office population in the downtown core is half of what it used to be. Um, and so what we have to figure out if we are to get our, if we are to get our downtowns to be as vibrant, looking forward as they were before the pandemic, we must get more people in our downtowns. Downtown must be conceived of and understood differently than it was before. It needs to be a vibrant neighborhood as Pike Place Market is a vibrant neighborhood, as Capitol Hill is a vibrant neighborhood, as the CID is a vibrant neighborhood, because people live, work, shop, and play there. Yes, that's that's, that's a DSA reference there. Um, but it's really true. And so what does that drill down to for me? There's been a lot of conversations across the nation about um, Vacant office space and where do we go from here? Conversions of um, office space into residential—the possibility for that. We're looking office of planning and community development, looking at the long. There's there's short-term things that need to be done to make downtowns more vibrant right now, but then there's also the long-term game plan as well. And looking at the looking at the long play, we are going to have to convert. Um, office space into residential we are going to have to think of how uh downtown's become 24 7 neighborhoods instead of places that people go to work during the day and then they go back to their homes somewhere else at night um and that's that is hard that's going to take time effort investment and that has to be a public-private partnership right um, there's things that the city that can do. There's the huge effort that's being uh, led on the waterfront that Yoon is part of. There's all the work that DSA is doing, but then there's also the private sector, like investment in um, re-envisioning what happens uh, outside of the public realm, like on all in all the buildings that are owned um, and what happens at street level. What what's the restaurant business shop that uh is a destination location itself and returns energy to the street um how do we incentivize it how do we support it how do we protect it how do we make make way for it um that that effort will take a village um and it will take a lot of conversations uh by all of us um and I think that as, as we see people coming back, right. um, You're already starting to see a change and there's a little bit of a chicken egg. If people see that they're, if if a prospective business owner that wants to open a business in downtown, if they see, well, if I open a restaurant here, who's going to come. Right. And as we see the numbers coming back, that, provides the incentive for that prospective business owner to open up that shop downtown Um, but we also need those um, entrepreneurs small and large to also take a chance to take that risk Um, and so it's it's one of the things that the city can do to make it to re to remove barriers make it more, make it cost effective, make it a uh, exciting opportunity for investors to make those type of investments. So I'm, I'm going on a bit. No, I appreciate it.
0: Um, so I, I think maybe I know you knows this, but I live in Seoul, South Korea right now. So right now I'm situated right here in Asia and I see this downtown, like this is a mega city, right? It's, it's huge. It's kind of like New York in scale. Um, I think within the outside borders of like the county uh, in Korea, uh, of Seoul, it's like 20 million people or something like that. So it's, it's a huge population. But when I look at economic centers here, right, they have these really interesting places like these markets. And if there's not a lot of people coming to the markets, what they've done is take the third floor of these markets And they open up for very low rent to, like, small business owners, pop-ups, artist studios, like, collaborations. And then they paint gorgeous murals, and a lot of young people go there. There's, like, little bars and pop-ups, like, really small, like, four-person, five-person bars, right? They're really tiny. But they're kind of known as, like, a way to draw more young people into those spaces and more cultural uh, uh, shops and little, like, kind of like what I would call, like, craft shops, like, you know people making their own like little booklets or stamps or envelopes, right? It's a very cute little space and that's, you know, and I think about the city of Seattle and downtown and like these properties that are especially uh, commercial that are vacant, you know, well, John, I know you talk to, you know, you represent a lot of property owners in downtown space is this idea of like converting these spaces into something else that's more hybrid or different. Is that something that everyone's talking about? Or is that something some people are like, yeah, I'm totally willing to do that. Or are are other people just waiting for people to just come back?
3: I think there's a mix. Yeah, I think there's some folks who are, you know, hoping maybe they can get the same rents as they were getting in 2019. And so let's see how things shake out. And let's maybe hold spaces open until that comes back in some not-too-distant future. And then there's other owners that are... Making moves to invite, you know, a micro tenant entrepreneur in six months lease. Let's try it out. There's not a lot of risk or cost on their end, and I think the Seattle Restored Program, started by the Office of Economic Development and then recently expanded, is a initiative that's helping to kind of make those matches between interested operators, somebody who's maybe had a business before or never has had one, or um, folks wanting to do arts and cultural installations and galleries. So finding that community and connecting them to property owners that have empty ground floor spaces. And there's mm-hmm. been some good success stories in pioneer square and other parts of downtown. I think several dozen now, um, Seattle restored operators that have been matched with property owners. And then recently the mayor announced they'd be expanding that program. Mm-hmm. So I think there's good opportunity in the city's bringing dollars to the table to help offset some of those costs. So there's a, you know, a city role property owner role, and then, the the entrepreneurs and small business owners or folks starting galleries and the old banana republic at the coliseum theater will soon next month be open for i think several weeks as a uh, a gallery and uh cool call the xo and uh it'll be a really great space and place for artists and the community to to gather and appreciate art in downtown seattle so yeah and and you know every time downtowns generally have faced this kind of crisis, whether it's been through a pandemic or a recession or, you know, industry leaving or the flight to the suburbs, you know, there's an opportunity for others to come in who maybe didn't have opportunity before the barrier of is lower, hopefully, you know, the costs are lower. And, and that's been one of the great strengths of downtown, their ability to adapt and adjust uh, and to welcome different folks in. And I, and I think we are in one of those periods, certainly a massive shift in commercial office market and how offices will be used. I think they're still very relevant, um, but the demand is not going to be what it was in 2019, uh, probably ever again. So what do we do with that space? And uh, and we had a lot of ground floor tenants leave and close up permanently because of pandemic restrictions too. So there's a fair amount of vacancy. And then those are opportunities to kind of reshape and repurpose uh, what the downtown is and what those spaces will be used for today and in the future.
0: Mm. No, I appreciate that. I, I, you know, there's a lot of cities facing these same issues, but what we face in Seattle is going to be incredibly difficult. It's going to take a lot of effort from a lot of partners, and it's going to take this idea to push against scarcity mindset, right? To think that, you know, if this sector, or this organization, or this business gets something, then we get less. And it's not that we need to grow that pie, and we need to reimagine that. But I do think in Seattle, there's a lot going for it, right? We talked about the beauty of it, the, the, the closeness to the waterfront and the beauty of the mountains in and and nature, the waterfront project itself, the great organizations like the you know Pike Place PDA and like the market. So there's a lot going on for it. And I think, John, you hit on this earlier. It's like, there's a lot of small, successful endeavors that have happened already and that have been happening for years through the pandemic. So how do we recreate those things in different formats throughout the rest of the downtown? What does that look like? That's going to take like you said, you know, property owners that are more willing to like have a different view of what it, you know, what kind of tenants they would have. What kind of spaces is it, you know, 2-year leases, 1-year leases, or is it like 3-month leases? How does that change? How do we get more arts and cultural, you know, uh attractions and venues and spaces for not just audiences but artists to display what they do? Um, how does the city partner with all those organizations i think the the if the if things go well i think seattle's just situated really well to like tackle this issue of downtown as opposed to maybe some other places but it is going to take a lot of effort and at civic commons we're talking a lot about like we're working on this framework called cities of belonging like how does the city be a city of belonging what are the 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 watermarks, what are the things that you need to do? What are like the different spaces that you have to create what are the conversations you have to hold and you know we we think that here on the West coast, especially in Washington across Tacoma, Seattle, there's a lot of potential for it to become a city of belonging, and so we're just you know we're kind of playing with that concept. we're looking at that idea of, we'll share more information about it in the future, but yeah, we just you know at some times we're looking forward to creating because creating that space where everyone is doing better because because everyone else is doing everyone's doing better right and that idea of like total uh, target universalism so i appreciate your conversations it is uh, about an hour and 12 minutes past so what i'm going to do as opposed to like letting you all on here on audio like say like hey this is a shout out this is a project i'm going to ask you all to email me Anything that your office or department, your company, your organization is, wants to do in the next like two months, three months. Maybe it's like summer planning for the waterfront. Maybe it's like downtown, uh, DSA events or, you know, or the podcast. Maybe it's like something the city's holding in terms of like a listening tour or, uh, community engagement, but say that to me. And when I release this pro- podcast, we will have that in the description, you know, and links and calendars and stuff like that. So. I'm going to give you all a chance to just, you know, close with anything you want to say before we end the podcast. And so maybe we can just go, uh, Yoon, John, Rico, just to, end. you know, if you have anything you want to say before we go.
1: Um, thank you. I'm excited to be working with all of you here. I am going to shout out the rank and events. Did you festival kicked off our season? Um, celebrating two-spirit and digiqueer um, folks June 23rd be there. It's going to be our big kickoff for um, Pride weekend for Seattle.
0: Nice. We'll put that information in the links. You know what? If you want to shout out something, go ahead too. So <laughs> go ahead, John.
3: Yeah, no, thanks for having this conversation, Frank. I mean, the last few years have been real difficult for our downtown, but what gives me hope and optimism is so many people care about the health of it and, revitalization and how do we make it better than it was and um, and this conversation is top of mind really across our city and lots of different communities so it gives me a lot of hope and encouragement that there's a deep well of uh, interest and concern and care for the center of our city people want to see it be healthy and they want to play a part and getting it back going again and uh, in new and better ways so that's what gets me up every day. So thanks for organizing the discussion with uh, some great
2: guests here.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming and thanks for participating. All right, Rico, take us home.
2: So we are doing a call for ideas, which is an office to residential conversion visions for Seattle downtown. So this is where uh, we're asking building owners to get together with Uh, developer and or uh, design firm to imagine if they were to convert an office building into a residential environment what that might look like and how that would um, bring both value people and vibrancy to our downtown Um, the submissions close to close tomorrow but then we will have a um, a huge reception at june at june first um at the uh washington convention center um uh and then we will have a a two month gallery uh of all the exhibitors uh down on western avenue uh at the american institute of architects um space which we're really excited about so looking for vision in all of the work that we do, like how, um, how do we serve community better? Um, and this is just one of those things. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thank you to our guests. I appreciate you all. I'm going to add, we're going to add all these details to the events and things to the description of the podcast. As always, we, I always want to thank the big phony who lends his music royalty free to us to use in our intro and outros. And I appreciate our guests. I thank you so much for spending your time with us. And all we say here at Civic Commons is that we know that it's not just about transactions, it's about relationships. And when you fuel transactions through relationships, it creates transformation. And you know, our tagline is, we belong here, so I hope you all continue to feel like you belong here and create a community of belonging. Thanks, everyone.